Good morning. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. We've been studying in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles, and we've been learning about lots of kings, haven't we? Well, did you know that at the same time those kings lived, lots of other people lived? Commoners, princes, rich people, poor people, prophets. What is a prophet? A prophet was a man who would come and declare to the people the word of God. Sometimes they would remind the people of what God had already revealed, what God had already revealed in his written word. Sometimes they would bring, being inspired by God, new messages to the people of Israel and Judah. Well, Isaiah was a prophet, and he not only called for the nation of Israel to remember what God had already written, but God inspired Isaiah to write much more. In fact, one of the largest books in the Old Testament was written by Isaiah. Isaiah wrote it. And when we think of Isaiah, perhaps we think of some famous parts of that book. Tell me, if you think of the book of Isaiah, is there anything that you can think of from the book of Isaiah that you already know? How about it? What do you already know from Isaiah? He prophesied that Jesus would die for us. There would be a servant who would suffer and die for the sins of the world. That's right. God inspired Isaiah to prophesy that. Anything else you can remember or know about what Isaiah prophesied or what Isaiah had taught? Brother Ray? Yes, about the seraphim, the angels in the presence of God worshiping him, crying, holy, holy, holy. That's in Isaiah chapter 6, which you referred to is actually throughout the book, but especially in Isaiah chapter 52 and 3. Anything else that you know famous or maybe not so famous from Isaiah? William? That Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Not Isaiah, but there's something else about his birth that Isaiah prophesied. It was prophesied that he would, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, but that was prophesied by Micah, another prophet. Isaiah, though, did prophesy something about Jesus' birth that was really important. Somebody whispered something to you. Did he get it right? Something about his birth. There is something about his birth in Isaiah chapter 7. Anybody know what that one is? Elijah? No, that's what William just said. That was Micah. Not Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied lots of things. Something else, something special. Do you know what it was in chapter 7 about his birth? A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That it would be, Jesus would be born of a virgin. Very good. Anything else you know about Isaiah? Oh, my. You all need to go read Isaiah. There's so much in Isaiah, it's amazing. Like, if I held up this here... Does this make you think of anything? Now, this isn't what actually Isaiah prophesied about. You know why? Because what he literally prophesied was about the lamb dwelling with the wolf and the lion dwelling with a child. But um, he prophesied of some incredible things relating to the kingdom. The kingdom. And we find out in Revelation that it's a millennial kingdom, a thousand-year kingdom the time when there will be peace. Now, I'll tell you, I'm surprised nobody thought, came up with something else famous in Isaiah. When we think of peace, that is correct. Jesus is referred to as Emmanuel in Isaiah, which means God with us. He's going to be the king prophesied throughout Isaiah. Isaiah is full of prophecies about the kingdom. It gets really exciting, actually. All the prophecies about the kingdom. But there's another one that's famous relating to the kingdom, but so many people like to look forward to it today. And, and if you actually were to go to New York City, you would find an incredible sculpture outside the United Nations headquarters in New York City. Does anyone have any ideas what that sculpture is? Have you seen that sculpture? 
Evelyn? It's a sculpture of men beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. So converting weapons of war into instruments of agriculture. Well, Isaiah is filled with all kinds of prophecies. And I hope that you will take time soon to read the whole book of Isaiah. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. So that means that if you read one chapter a day, it takes you about two months to read. But I'd recommend that you read it in shorter time than that. In fact, I got up early this morning, and um, I started to listen to it, and I already listened to 30 chapters this morning of it, half of it. So it doesn't take a long time to read, and it's filled with prophecies. And just over the last few weeks, I've been listening to the book and reading it. I've been amazed at how much is in the book of Isaiah. So how does this famous Isaiah fit into history? Now, I wonder, do you think that Isaiah lived at the same time of Moses? How many of you think Isaiah lived at the same time as Moses? Nobody thinks he lived at the same time. How about, how many of you think that Isaiah lived at the same time as Noah? Nobody thinks that? How about this? How many of you think that Isaiah lived at the same time as King David? Anybody? No, maybe one or two. How many of you think that Isaiah lived during the days of uh, King Jeroboam the first? No, no. How many of you think that Isaiah lived and prophesied during the days of King Ahaz? Get your hands up there. Yes, it was during the days of King Ahaz, but not just Ahaz. In fact, Ahaz was that king who was privileged to hear the prophecy that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. That was a prophecy made to King Ahaz. So how does that fit in our timeline? He didn't live in the days of Saul or in David or of Solomon, and nor in the early days of the divided kingdom. You can see here, not in the days of Rehoboam. Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, we keep on going on. And ah ha ha, do you see Isaiah up there? He's down there in the bottom right. You see, he actually lived and prophesied during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Notice that he reigned through the time of when Israel, the northern kingdom, was carried away captive. In fact, God used Isaiah to prophesy of this destruction. But his ministry was primarily to Judah. That's the southern kingdom, Judah. And we find that out in the very first verse of the prophecy. And the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, I'll give you a little bit of a heads up here. You see where Hezekiah ends there, right at the end of the line here? Well, the next king is a king named Manasseh. It's not recorded in the Bible, but Jewish tradition records for us. That means what's been passed down from generation to generation. That when Manasseh, who was Hezekiah's son, became king, he took the prophet Isaiah and he put him inside a hollow log, and then he cut the log in half, including Isaiah. <laughs> Does that make your ears tingle? That's why in Hebrews chapter 11, it says others suffered and died, and it says were sawn asunder. That's what it was describing, is when they do this to people, prophets. And Jewish tradition tells us that that's what they did to Isaiah. How would you like to be Isaiah? Yes, this was his time. During the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and sometime in the days of Manasseh, he saw his end. So what is all the message of Isaiah? Well, the message of Isaiah 
is a message preached to the nation of Israel to believe God. The whole first chapter lays out an indictment against Judah, warning them of their great wickedness. And right in the middle of chapter 1, look here in verse 18. Well, let's actually back up a little bit further before. He, he, God, God just, he, he's having a real hard time with these people. They, they're doing wickedness. They're, they're, they're oppressing the poor. They're behaving like Sodom and Gomorrah. And God, in fact, God actually begins to refer to them as Sodom and Gomorrah. And he tells of their terrible blood. And then they have the audacity. They have the boldness and wickedness to come to the temple and offer sacrifices to God while they go sinning and doing wickedness. They'll go from oppressing the poor and stealing from the widows. And then they'll come and they'll offer sacrifices in the temple of Jehovah and act as if they've done nothing wrong. God says, I'm tired of it. I'm weary of your sacrifices, your oblations, your offerings. I'm tired of it. He tells them in verse 15 that when ye spread forth your hands in prayer, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. People would come and pray with their hands raised to heaven. They may not have blood dripping from them, but they have just washed the blood of innocence from their hands. And then they come to God and pray and expect to be heard. Here's the message to the nation of Israel. Summarized in the very first chapter, verse 16, wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease, that means stop, to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment, that means justice. Relieve the oppressed. They had been oppressing the oppressed. He says, don't oppress the oppressed. Relieve them. Judge the fatherless. That doesn't mean to be cruel to them. That means to recognize the fatherless and to help them. And when they have been wrongly dealt, give them justice when they have been wronged. And plead for the widow. You see, widows and orphans, the fatherless, are exploited. They're taken advantage of in this nation. And God says, be done with it. Do the opposite. Instead of oppressing them and exploiting them and taking advantage of them and stealing their property and leading them into debt and giving them contracts that are troublesome, do what is right. And those who do cheat them, hold them accountable. Bring them to justice. And then God says this, verse 18. Verse 18 is a famous verse. It's actually the key verse to the book of Isaiah. He says, come, come now. And let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You see, the nation of Israel have sins that are like a blood red, a crimson red reminiscent of the innocent bloodshed. And God says, come, come, come reason with me that we can take your sins, though you've been stained with all this blood and with all of your sins, even those who hadn't shed innocent blood, you can be washed, you can be cleansed. He says, if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. He's warning of the judgment coming. We look at this and we look back in history and we see that Judah continued on beyond here, the Assyrian fall. That is only because of God's mercy. If you exa examine the spiritual state 
of the nation of Israel at that time and of Judah, both were in despair. I really believe that it was only because, and we'll learn about this later, the humility and the prayers of a righteous man, Hezekiah, the king, and God's promises that is, Judah too was not carried away and destroyed in 722 B.C. Well, we have all of this, and the whole book is fascinating. But there's a certain part I'd like to look at in relation to our kings. See here, the yellow line as it goes through there, King Uzziah. Now, we don't know exactly when Isaiah's ministry began. That's why you see that little question mark there. But there was a ministry that Isaiah had with Uzziah. Now, Hebrews, and Isaiah being one of them, didn't always record things chronologically. But there is some chronological structure to this book. And the first five chapters of this book appear to have occurred during the time of King Uzziah. Now, let's rehearse and review the history of King Uzziah, can we? You, all, you already know all of this, right? King Uzziah. Well, before we do that, I have to go through this real quick. To where does Isaiah fit in on the books of the Bible? Fits in within 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, right in this area. All right? So King Uzziah, you remember, his name means my strength is Jehovah. He also had the name Azariah, which means Jehovah has helped. And indeed, God had strengthened him. Remember, he was famous for his military might and the war machines that he had invented. That was King Uzziah. He's the one who invented the catapult to be able to shoot things from the walls. He was a military mighty genius. But he also rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. You remember in the days of his father, the king of Israel had come down and knocked down 600 feet of the wall of Jerusalem. Well, he rebuilt Jerusalem. He fortified it. He built towers both in Jerusalem and throughout the nation of Israel. And these towers served as warning places so that if an enemy was coming in, they could see and deal with it proactively. Or if there were beasts that were devouring the crops, they could overlook the crops and see them and find their dens, etc., and take care of them. And so these towers were built all throughout Jerusalem and the land, and there's a map where they believe they found all of some of the different towers that he's made, um, as well as the references specifically of where he built them. But there was something else that Uzziah was famous for. Does anybody remember what that was? Something else he was famous for. Something it says that he loved. Nobody remembers. It says that he loved husbandry. He loved husbandry. That doesn't mean he loved to be a husband. He loved husbandry, and a husband in this context is one who takes care of the vines in a vineyard. Now, it's actually really fascinating that in English we have a husband and husbandry, and one who is a husband in taking care of vines, you notice what he does? He takes care of the vines. So also, husbands, we take care of our wives. It's sad when men sometimes um, take care of their jobs more than they take care of their wives and families. That's a problem. In fact, throughout Scripture, you're going to find out that people are compared to vines. Did you know that? People are compared to the grapevines. How many of you have ever seen a vineyard? You ever seen them? We don't live too far away from vineyards. In fact, if you just go oh, 20 minutes north of here, you're bound to find a vineyard. They're all over just up here. And, and vineyards are there, and, and, and God says sometimes that vineyards are like people. Well, Uzziah the king he loved husbandry. Jared, can you come bring your Bible and come play the role of Uzziah this morning again? Can you come play the role of Uzziah again? Bring your Bible because we're not going to, I'm going to keep you up here and you're just going to sit here as representative of his majesty, King Uzziah. So here he is, King Uzziah. We've known him. You love husbandry. You like your vines? You like your grapes, right? 
But you know what? Maybe we should take that crown off. Oh, don't miss it. There we go. He's a farmer. He's a husband. He takes care of the vineyard. And he has lots of them. You love vineyards. He loves husbandry. Well, did you know there's someone else who loves husbandry? God does. God loves husbandry. Did you know that? God loves to take care of vines and vineyards. God loves to see fruit come forth from our lives. God loves husbandry. And if you take your Bibles and you turn with me over to Psalm 80, we learn about the Lord and his love for husbandry. If we look here in Psalm 80, in verse 8, it says this of the Lord. This is a prayer. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparedest room before it and did cause it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the boughs thereof were like the goodly cedars. Wow, a grapevine compared to a cedar tree? Unbelievable! Amazing! Well, God is telling you, this here is actually revealing that the Lord has given to the nation of Israel this symbol, this picture, that he is a husbandman, like here King Uzziah was. And he has planted a vineyard. And you know who the choice vine was? The children of Israel. He took them out of Egypt as a treasured, treasured vine, and he planted them in the promised land, the land he'd promised a long time ago to Abraham. And he caused it to take deep root. He caused it to grow, become a magnificent vine. A magnificent vine. Well, you, you love husbandry, right? So imagine with me one day that you're sitting in the throne room of Uzziah. Now, what's recorded here in Isaiah chapter 5 I don't know if this took place before Uzziah sinned or after. What do I mean here? Well, Uzziah, his fame spread everywhere, all to Egypt. He was famous. But, do you remember but? When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. What did King Uzziah do? You remember he took incense, and he was going to bring it in and offer incense in the temple to the Lord, a thing that was not his right to do, that was reserved only for the priests. But he as king thought he was mighty and strong, and he could go in and do that. He was resisted by the high priest and 80 other priests, commanded to cease, to stop. But he persisted, and the Lord struck him with leprosy, and he ended up hastening, running, running, from that temple, a leper. And he left the palace and he lived in a little house outside the city for the rest of his days. Now I have a question. Did the prophecies of Isaiah take place before or after Uzziah became a leper? Don't know. It doesn't record for us whether or not it did. But I'd like for us to keep Uzziah's sin in mind and now consider what takes place in Isaiah chapter 5. Whether or not it took place in the royal throne room of Judah, as we see here, his majesty, or whether or not it took place in a public place where Uzziah could see out his window from his place of isolation, quarantine, and hear this message of Isaiah. In fact, it's a song. Imagine with me, that you go back to Jerusalem, to this very throne room, and here is King Uzziah. 
I'm going to be Isaiah. Now, why would I dress up? Why would I dress up like a farmer? Well, because I know you love husbandry. And I am going to remind you of how much you love husbandry, and we're going to talk about this. And so imagine with me that you're here in the courts of, of Judah with his majesty, the king. You're the princes. You're the dignitaries. You're the wise men of the land. And here comes Isaiah. Now, how much you know of Isaiah, I don't know. Little or much. But Isaiah comes marching into this throne room, and he's going to sing a song, as is recorded in Isaiah chapter 5. Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the midst of it and made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth But it brought forth wild grain. O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done? When I looked that it should bring forth grace, brought it forth wild grace. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge and it shall be eaten up. I will break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned nor digged. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I command the clouds that they rain no For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plan. And he looked for judgment, but found oppression. For righteousness, but behold a crime. Woe, woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts, of a truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair, without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield 
one bath, six gallons. And the seed of an homer, six bushels, shall yield an ephah, one half bushel. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night to wine inflame them, and the harp and the vial and the timbre to the pipe and wine are in their feasts, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure and their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. And the mean men shall be brought down and the mighty men shall be humbled and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Then shall the lambs feed after their manner, and the waste places of the fat ones shall strangers eat. Woe! Unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity, and sin as it were with a cart rope, that say, let him make speed and hasten his work, that we may see it, and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come, that we may know it. Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward, and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble, and the flame consumeth the shaft, so their root shall be as rottenness, and their blossom shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord. And despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people, and he hath stretched forth his hand against them, and hath smitten them, and the hills did tremble, and their carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And he will lift up an ensign to the nations from afar and will hiss unto them from the end of the earth. And behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. None shall be weary nor stumble among them. None shall slumber nor sleep. Neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed, nor the latchet of their shoes be broken, whose arrows are sharp, and all their bows bent. Their horses' hooves shall be counted like flint, and their wheels like a whirlwind. Their roaring shall be like a lion. They shall roar like a young lion. Yea, they shall roar and lay hold of the prey and shall carry it away safe and none shall deliver it. And in that day, they shall roar against them like the roaring of a sea. And if one look into the land, behold darkness and sorrow and the light is darkened in the heaven 
thereof. It doesn't tell us what happened at the end of the chapter. But I imagine Isaiah finished that song. He recounted these woes, six woes upon Israel before King Uzziah and left. And do you know what is recorded in the very next verse? In the year that King Uzziah died. Thank you, Your Majesty. I wonder... Did this song, did this rebuke occur before he came into the temple or after? We don't know. But I sure hope it didn't happen before. Think of all the light, the warning that he had if it did. To know how horrible what he was about to do was. Or imagine if he had already done that of how he realized that he is the leader of the land had failed in setting a horrific example for a people already carried away in wickedness. What impact did all of this have on the people? The song of the vineyard. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts. Did you hear the woes? Trouble. Warnings of trouble. 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 Listen, listen. Did you hear how the song began? Oh, it began so happy. The Lord planting a vineyard planting it with the choicest vine, the best vine. He built a tower to ensure its protection from raiders, from wild beasts. He built a wine press therein. You know what that means? That means that he expected nice, juicy grapes that could be pressed into delicious wine. He looked for grapes, but he says that what came forth were wild grapes. And he asks the men of Judah in that song, did you hear, what more could I have done to my vineyard than that I have already done? You see, God, as the husbandman, the vine dresser, did not fail in his job. What was wrong was with the people. The people had failed. All throughout our Bible, we find that the nation of Israel is compared to this vine, this treasure that God has chosen and planted in the promised land. But there's trouble. If you turn with me over to Jeremiah, again, Israel is compared to this vine. And in Jeremiah 2 and verse 21, it says, Yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy, a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? Oh, the Lord is diswrought by this. Over in Hosea, Hosea, in chapter 10 and verse 1. Remember, Hosea is the prophet living at the same time 
the same time, perhaps Hosea's message has already been circulating, written two years before that earthquake. And Hosea wrote in chapter 10 and verse 1 that Israel is an empty vine. Wait a minute, the whole point of a vine is for it to be abundant with fruit. But Hosea said, it's an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself according to the multitude of his fruit. He hath increased the altars. Huh? According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. You remember, Hosea prophesied, as did, as did Isaiah and Hosea both prophesied, in days of great prosperity. Speaking of the vines overflowing, that's why Uzziah loved them. The vines were flourishing. They were overflowing with abundance and wealth. And the more abundance and wealth they have, Isaiah said, the more you have, the more altars you build, not to the Lord, but to your idols. The more abundant your fruit is, you take that prosperity and enjoyment, you corrupt your wine, and you become drunken in your feasts. And as you oppress people, and then you multiply your altars. And as the land gives forth its goodness, you make more idols. Oh, God says you, 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 you're an empty, empty vine. Remember where we began back in Psalm chapter 80? Turn with me back there. Psalm 80 is actually a prayer. Psalm 80 is the perfect prayer that the men of Judah ought to have prayed after Isaiah's rebuke. When Isaiah left that throne room or that village square, wherever it was that he sang that song and pronounced the six woes upon Judah, Psalm 80 ought to have been their response. But I'll tell you it wasn't. And so here I will appeal to you today Oh, almost 3,000 years later, what is your response to the warning of Isaiah? Now, Isaiah's warning was to the nation of Israel. There had been a pleading, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be red like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. There is forgiveness. There is forgiveness available. Let's reason together. Confess your sins. Cease from the iniquity. Because if you don't, woe unto you. Woe, 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 woe unto you, Isaiah says. Six woes upon the people. Would they listen? No. We're not the nation of Israel. It's not the same situation. But did you know that in a similar sense, even in the New Testament, we are an elegy of a vine? In fact, not the vine. We are said to be branches. And the question is, who's your vine? You see, what happened here is that these choice vines, man created in the image of God, every man Isaiah prophesies went away. He went astray. He went his own way. As there Jeremiah says, he was degenerate. Other places it speaks of the wine as the vine is being rotten in the root, rottenness of the root. Of our own doing, we go astray. You know what we need? We need to connect to the true vine. And do you know who the true vine is? The Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up thy strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. 
O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Thou feedest them with the bread of tears. Thou givest them tears to drink in great measure. Thou makest us a strife unto our neighbors and our enemies. Laugh us among us, among themselves at us. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparedest room before it and didst cause it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the boughs thereof were like the goodly cedars. She sent out her boughs unto the sea and her branches unto the river. Why hast thou then broken down her hedges so that they which pass by the way Do pluck her? The boar out of the wood doth waste it, and the wild beast of the field doth devour it. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and behold, and visit this vine and the vineyard which thy hand hath planted, and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself. It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Let thine hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man whom thou madest strong for thyself. So will we not go back from thee. Quicken us, make us alive, and we will call upon thy name. Turn us, O Lord God of Israel, Cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. This is a prayer of one who recognizes that the husbandman, the creator God, is disciplining him, pruning him, cutting off the dead, and it's not so pleasant. And he's crying out to God to quicken him. See that in verse 18? Quicken is an old word that means alive or to make alive. He wants revival. He wants restored. Oh, this is a prayer. If only Uzziah had prayed it from his heart in sincerity and true belief. No, the Lord is not the husbandman who is the failure. It's us as the vines that fail. And so we need to get connected to the true vine. Turn with me to John chapter 15. We don't have time to explain it, but I have to read it at least to you. Of the glorious declaration that Jesus made the night before he was crucified, he told us all how we can be connected to the source of life him. And that next day he was going to die and three days later prove to them and to the world and to us that he is the source of life. And it's only in him by abiding that we can bring forth roots. He says in John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. I told you that God loves husbandry. Every branch in me, Jesus says, that beareth not fruit he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. What does it mean to abide? It means to be in fellowship with. It means to be connected with. It's a constant connection with Jesus every single day, every moment of the day. Jesus continues, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. 
If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch that is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that your joy might be full. That, your, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says, ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. We're the branches. Are we connected? Are we abiding? Are we dwelling? Are we living? Are we trusting in the true vine day by day, bringing forth much fruit. You might say, what is fruit? The fruit of the Spirit is of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Let's be abiding in the true vine, Jesus, because when we don't, woe be upon us. He will discipline us, and the discipline is in love so that we can cry out to him in our helplessness to quicken us when we realize that apart from him, we can't live. We need his life. So let's abide in him, and let's learn from Isaiah and Uzziah and the nation of Israel and Judah, and let's not be as them. Let us not be as they were. But let us turn to the shepherd and bishop of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him every day, every moment of the day, so that our Father in heaven might be glorified as we bring forth much fruit. Great God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are a good husbandman, that you know what is best for us, that you are a good father that you love us, that you care about us, that you have shown us your ways. May we abide in Jesus Christ, your Son, day by day, moment by moment, every day. And may he abide in us and his words abide in us as we abide in him. Lord Jesus, you be our life. We give ourselves to you as we pray. In your precious name, amen.